I'm no expert, but I think the trail goes this way. Every spirit was with me. That's all I got to say. Every spirit? Yeah. Oh, wow. Every angel. That's what I... <laughs> yeah. Every angel, because I don't... I got to be honest with you. I don't even know how I recognized what the PCT was. When you're out here in nature, kind of, you are able to think for yourself as an individual. And in that, that is the spiritual gift, right? Um, you have the ability to find God in yourself. Welcome back to Sounds of the Trail. This is your host, Gizmo, and this is episode 9 here in season 2. And today's episode is brought to you by Casper Mattresses, because all of you deserve a great night's sleep. And you can get $50 off of your order of your mattress if you go to casper.com slash hikertalk, and then use the promo code hikertalk, and that's all one word. And a good night's sleep is important because we're about to talk about some serious stuff today spirituality, and a relationship with the sublime, and southern sweet tea. Very important to take your sweet tea seriously, I understand. Sometimes I think that through hiking can best be understood as a sort of modern hero's journey. It can seem like there aren't that many of these journeys left. The tallest mountains have been summited, the distant reaches of the globe have been explored, the moon has been walked on. And so we make these journeys for ourselves, these treks. They're easy enough to imagine that almost anyone can try them, and even the most unlikely hikers will, will succeed. But they're big enough and long enough and hard enough that even the tough and committed can fail. And on any journey like that, it naturally follows that for many it turns into a spirit quest as well. There's more being tested than just your feet. For some, the spiritual journey is the point, and for others, it is definitely not, but sometimes it happens to us anyway. We're going to hear from two very different hikers today who've encountered the sublime out on the trail from very different angles. Before we do that, we're going to have a quick update from homework out on the Continental Divide. And before we do that, I'm going to talk a little bit about our sponsor for this week's episode, Casper Mattresses, who is definitely making today's show possible. Casper makes these cool mattresses out of a combo of springy latex foam and supportive memory foam for a Goldilocks effect where it's just right. Not only that, because Casper sells these just right mattresses straight to us without any commissions or middlemen, you get an award-winning sleep surface without the inflated price. It comes straight to your house in an impressively small box, and I know all you through hikers like getting things mailed to you in boxes. And the shipping is free, and the returns are too. And we're talking just $500 for a twin size and $950 for a king, plus another $50 off the mattress purchase if you go to casper.com slash hikertalk and use the promo code hikertalk. And some terms and conditions apply, but go ahead and check it out and support the show. With that said, let's get back to the show and hear how homework is doing out on the Continental Divide. This is homework. It is 6.30 in the morning. Um, it's July 8th, so that means I've been hiking alone for seven days. Out of those seven days, I've seen one other thru-hiker. Her name was Son. She's from South Korea, and she didn't speak any English. And, uh, we camped together one night, and I haven't seen her since. And then I passed two section hikers that we're heading northbound and I'm heading southbound so we just had a quick conversation as the long trails go you always I mean I kind of knew I would learn lessons that I didn't expect I'd learn on this trail I thought it was going to be more of an exercise of technical lessons but 
it's been more of interpersonal lessons. Mainly, I think the one that stands out <laughs> in bold, bright letters for me is just adjusting to having a very isolated experience of solitude. I've never done anything like this. I've done small trips alone, but I've never done such a long trip alone where I'm so isolated. And I've been adjusting. It was pretty tough the first couple nights. I get paranoia, <laughs> paranoid about bears, especially as you get closer to Yellowstone. But I just have to catalog how rational or irrational that is in my head. Like, for example, there hasn't been any signs of bears, like, or scat or prints or even the f kind of food they like. So, um, I just have to tell myself that as I'm falling asleep. <laughs> There's no bears here. It's okay. And other little things that have been helping me is just hiking until it gets pretty late and so that when I get to camp it's um, getting dark and I can just set up my tent maybe cook food if I have enough energy and then just go to bed instead of getting to camp early and laying around and letting my imagination go wild it's been a wild experience being alone I almost felt like a little kid getting dropped off at preschool for the first time where I was just fighting it so hard at first but now that I'm here doing it, I have such great days. I love the days alone. I just go at my own speed, do whatever I want. No one's around, so, you know, like, <laughs> I, I don't even really have to step off the trail to go number one. Um, it's just I think the nights are a little bit harder. Yeah, I'm just learning little tricks to get used to that and embrace it so that's my update I think there's some hikers like a couple days behind me I am thinking about taking a few days off um, just to let everyone catch up and um, take care of some business some real-life business so that's also an option I want to make sure I'm doing it, you know, just for fun and not out of fear. And I think I'm almost there. So that's about it. So when I hiked Thanks the Pacific Crest Trail in Thanks 2014, I did it with my, my partner. And from one side of the country to journey the other, I was literally figuring out how to be alone. alone. <laughs> However, when I hiked the Arizona Trail earlier this year, I ended up doing a bit more than half of it on my own. And a great deal of that part of it, I was totally alone. It's a funny thing hiking alone. For me at least, it was really easy to get stuck in circular trains of thought. In order to distract myself from how my feet felt, I'd often start thinking, why? Why do this? Why do anything? Why go anywhere? What's the point of this? What's the point of anything? And around and around, and I never came to any good conclusions except maybe why not? Time's going to pass if I'm hiking or not, and at least there I was in the trees, doing something I'd set out to do. And if the existentialist rut got too tedious, I could always go back to thinking about my feet. Our first interview is with a pretty incredible guy who started out as a most unlikely thru-hiker, but now he's a triple crowner. He has more than 8,000 miles under his belt, and he's out on another adventure to bicycle the Great Divide. Why? Why does he hike? Let's take a listen. Cool, so this is Homework with Sounds of the Trail, um, and I've got kind of an interesting character here. Uh, <laughs> do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, how are you? My name is Scarecrow, and I am a Triple Crowner. I had made my Triple Crown in 2014, and um, right now I'm on the uh, Ride to Divide, going uh, southbound, starting in Banff, Canada, going down to Mexico. And do you mind telling us the years you did the the AT, CDT, and PCT? So I had done the, uh, the Appalachian Trail in 2001, and I had done the, uh, the PCT in 2011, and I had done the uh, CDT in 2014. Wow, awesome. Yeah. So what interested me, interested, uh, me most about your story is 
you walked the CDT and now you're riding it. You're like in week three about? Uh, yeah, I'm going into week three right now. Yeah. So yeah. what's been the big difference so far? Uh, it's tough to say. I'd, I'd almost prefer to carry a backpack. Really? And have everything on my bike because I feel like on a bike, everything is very disheveled. In the backpack, it's just a rectangle. Everything is within that rectangle. Uh-huh. On my bike, I have four different bags. You got your, yeah. your uh, handlebar bag, you got your, your frame bag, you have your um, seat bag. And unfortunately, I really didn't want to do this, but I'm carrying a backpack, a small backpack. Oh, really? That yeah. you wear during the day? Yeah, while I'm riding. Like hydration or what's in it? Um, I keep my uh, I keep my sleeping bag because it's a it's um, uh, a Z pack, so it's lightweight. It's just a little one pack, uh, one pound bag, and, mm-hmm. uh, titanium cook pot. Like everything that is the lightest it could be goes in that bag. Okay, and then all the heavy stuff goes on a bike. <laughs> yeah, are you liking it more than hiking so far? I prefer hiking. Oh, really? Anytime. Yeah, it's it, good to hear. Yeah, <laughs> love the uh, love the hiking community. Everybody who's uh, mm. into that whole thing. Um, yeah, definitely love the hiking more. On on the biking side, I don't really know too many people in the biking community. Yeah, this this just came about because uh, I had watched the movie Ride the Great Divide on Netflix. Yeah, and the only reason why I watched it because I wanted to see the little towns that I was going to be ducking in and out of when I was ri- when I was going to do the CDT. Oh, okay. So uh, so my friend Matt, who I'm riding with right now, I said, hey, you should check out this movie. You're a bit more of a, a cyclist than I am. And his wife had seen it first, called him up at work and said, hey, you should really do this. Then calls my wife up and says, <laughs> hey, I'm sending Matt out on a ride to Divide. How do you feel about Teddy going with him? Wait, so his wife instigated his his ride? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's That's just like so one of, cool. Yeah. So, um, so I didn't even get on a CDT yet. And I already had a bike trip planned, <laughs> which was kind of cool. And, uh, so yeah, so then that, that whole, that whole thing kind of worked out in 2014. I had done the CDT, received my triple crown over at, uh, Mount hood in, uh, Oregon oh, nice. in October. The all the West gathering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Actually the, the guy who runs all the West is on the trail right now. All good. Yeah. Yeah, we met yeah. him. Yeah. Oh, great guy. Character. What a great guy. Yeah. So, uh, what a sense of humor that guy has. Yeah. So I couldn't ask for a better person to run a show there. <laughs> and um, so now we're we're doing a ride to divide. That's so cool. It, it almost feels like you're a through hiker who is accidentally doing a bike trip. Like. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, you know, <laughs> running into this right here, I I couldn't wait to run into through hikers. Oh really? I'm, I couldn't wait. Yeah, I'm telling you, That's man. That's so cool. Yeah, I couldn't wait. And I couldn't wait to come to this place to see my shoes hanging on the uh Oh yeah. The tree. Yeah. So for, for the <laughs> listeners out the, out there, uh we are in Lima, Montana, very southern Montana. We're only about on foot, about a week away from Wyoming, Yellowstone. And uh we're at a motel. Do you guys remember the name of it? Uh, Mountain View. Mountain View Motel. And the owners are huge trail angels and there's uh trees outside that have uh retired hiker shoes on it. And when did you hang your shoes up there? 2014. And then they're still up there. You saw they're still them. there. Yep. That is so cool. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Knees was looking at the tree today, kind of, uh, or yesterday, scoping out the <laughs> shoe situation see if he could use any of them. <laughs> There's been stories about uh, hikers taking shoes off those trees yeah. that are a little bit better than the ones that they're wearing. Totally. Totally. <laughs> so riding so far, do you feel like you've missed anything? Like things go by so fast compared to walking or is it just the uh, right speed? Yeah, our our gig is um, there's a date that we have to uh, we have to be finished August third. So we've been doing a little bit a little little bit more road than trail. Okay. So which is a little disappointing on my side, but it's cool. You know, we're we're out here doing this. You know, I'm not yeah I'm not in Manhattan right now. <laughs> so <laughs> is that home? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I live on Long Island and I work in New York City. Nice. So uh, you know, I'm out here. I mean, just standing in the, in this parking lot looking at these mountains right here is just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, just amazing. At the end of the day, do you feel the same satisfaction you do after hiking a full day? Like that tired, but good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And do you find that your backpacking gear transfers over to cycling gear? Like are you using your same tent you used oh, yeah. through hiking? Yeah. Cool. So somebody who's done a through hike before and if they want to do a cycling trip, they don't have to start completely from scratch with gear. Definitely not. That's it's, cool. it's basically um, 
it's the bike and instead of the backpack you got to buy all your gear that attaches to the bike okay so yeah you, like you're kind of starting over but it, like on the gear side you're not yeah so that's encouraging yeah along with the going at a little faster pace like do you see as much wildlife i do because i'm paying attention okay you know so i i'm always looking around yeah but i haven't seen any moose yet i'm always uh, always looking out for moose and stuff like that uh, i saw my very first ton one of golden eagle so more more golden eagle now riding a bike than i've ever have on a hiking trails oh really yeah amazing huh amazing wow so not to get dark but you were up in glacier around the time of the fatal grizzly attack on the mountain biker i was in canada at the time yeah what was that like knowing that had happened and then riding through there i mean um, it was a different area but still it was in the park it didn't really affect me too much. I mean, I'm, I feel bad for the guy, you know, what had happened to him. Yeah. And I knew there was going to be uh, drama or stories going up and down the trail. Yeah. There always is, you know what I mean? Yeah. You guys know that. So, um, <laughs> but it, it didn't affect me. I, I had to go, the, the way the trail runs, it, it kisses right up alongside the west side of Glacier. So I knew I was going to be within the area, but it didn't really affect me much. I yeah. keep a clean camp. I hang my food, you know, I know, I know where carry bear spray and yeah I, I love the back country and i love the trail so i know if i treat the trail right it's going to treat me right yeah totally so. when you're through hiking there's just this satisfaction and and this reward that comes spiritually or oh, just man. you know so are you feeling the same thing and like what was it like for you you triple crowned like yeah you did trail after trail like why why did you keep coming back and is this similar no definitely not no way. Hiking is so much, so much more of an achievement, I think. Kind of a weird question. I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that question. Just help me out with it. Yeah, like, what do you, <laughs> what do you, what do you get out of long-distance hiking? Like, why do you keep coming back? Why do you torture your body, you know? Like, what's the reward for you? Um, I don't know, man. It's just, I don't know. I, I feel like once you, once you have, like, 1,800 miles under your feet, you're there. Mm. you like you are you are just part of the earth i mean you are so part of the trail you are part of just everything that's just around you and that's like i felt that on the at i felt that on the pct like you know you and on the cdt i felt a little disjointed because i um i uh i had to jump off at the border of canada and new mexico at chama jumped up to the wind river range i'm not the wind river range i'm sorry the uh, great basin divide had knocked out that 220 miles, I think, and then uh, jumped back down to Colorado, you know, with the, the ice shoes on. It. Mm -hmm. um, but then after that, but once once I was like within reach, <laughs> it, it was all there. 800 miles, just be 800 miles before uh, um, I reached the uh, the Canada border. I mean, I knew it. Wow. Yeah, triple crown, man. That's Done gotta deal. be such a crazy feeling. I, I just knew it. So yeah, you go if you just keep keep hiking, man. That's it. <laughs> I mean, keep on. <laughs> so what comes next? Like a lot of people are, you yeah, know, their the goal discovery. is their goal is a triple crown, and then what comes next? Like, do you feel yeah. out of it or? Well, me no, definitely not. Me and my family, we're gonna we're gonna hike the John Muir Trail together this uh next next summer it's gonna be me and my wife my daughter and my son nice so we'll end up doing that together um and then sometime within the next five years it'll probably end up being the american discovery trail wow yeah that and that's all the way from uh coast to coast right yeah it starts in delaware and i'm still not really familiar with where it ends on the west coast yet yeah <laughs> like i haven't really dug that deep into it yeah. But it was kind of a cool gift that my, my wife had given me on Valentine's Day. She had given me three books um, in regards to that. So it kind of gave me a green light to go. You know? Yeah. Sounds like your wife is on board with this stuff. What do your kids think of it? Uh, my daughter is really heavily into it. And my son is kind of like, I can't believe you leave it again sort of thing. He's uh, My daughter is uh, now she's 18. My son is uh, 13. He doesn't really have like the that hiking bug. Bug, yeah. But my daughter is totally into it. Yeah. Yeah. With the so John Muir Trail, are you kind of hoping that it awakens in him, or? Ah, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. I, I hope so. I hope yeah. so. I think that'll come a little bit later on in life. You know what I mean? I, yeah. 
So. Was there stuff your dad was really into that you just didn't Zero. get to? Oh, okay. When I when I stepped on the Appalachian Trail, I had a seventy five pound pack. I've never slept in a tent. Have never been in the backcountry. Yeah. I've never, never, <laughs> never slept in the dark by myself in the wilderness. None yeah. of that. So Zero. what inspired you to hike the AT? That was your first long distance trail. Uh, somebody showed me uh, a map. It's it, you've probably seen it before. It's just a little uh, one foot by four foot fold out, and said, "Oh, there's a map of the Appalachian Trail." And I I opened it up, and it was just like the re- this red line that went from Georgia to Maine. And I was like, "Oh, you know, people hike this," and and they said, "Yeah, people actually hike the entire thing." And I was like, "That is a cool thing to do," and I, that was that was opened up to me in 1999, and I was you know studied it for two years. And my first day on the trail, I was like, what the heck was I looking at for two years? Because I had, I just brought everything. A 75 pound pack. I had a yeah. loaf of bread hanging off the side of my backpack. <laughs> Wool sweater, everything. Everything I thought I needed was in there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then from there on, I didn't even know that the Pacific Crest Trail or the uh, Continental Divide or didn't know anything about the Triple Crown. Um, I found that all about, I found out about that while I was on EAT. Yeah. You know. When you were on the AT and you found out about the other trails, did you know that you would hike them? I, I definitely had it in my mind that I was going to do the PCT. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely. Which of the three trails do you relate to the most? The PCT. Oh, Because really? I did most of that trail by myself. Okay. Yeah, I started really late. I started on uh, June 2nd at, uh, at the Mexico border. Wow. Unfortunately, when I got up to uh, the Northern Cascades in Washington, I had to step off on November 2nd uh, because it was just way too much snow. I was yeah. just so far out of my element. I, I come from Long Island, so I'm like uh-huh. at 90 feet elevation. I'm there at 7,000 feet and I'm like yeah. just buried in snow. And uh, I, I just had this driving force that I wanted to finish, but I just came to realize that I had to step off. Yeah. And then I went back the next year and finished the last uh, yeah. 50 miles or whatever it was. That's something I'm kind of struggling with. I'm just you know, I have to get off in early August to go work a, a course. Um, and then I'll get back on. If I do get back on, it would be mid September and that's Colorado in mid September. And I'm kind of like struggling with maybe I should just do it next summer, you know, but that's hard because it takes away that whole like glory of a through hike, you know, how is uh, that for you? I, my personal thoughts on the whole thing is that five and a half months is a blip in a lifetime. So I would go right back down to the Mexico border and just start all over again and just take five and a half months off. Nice. That, that's my personal thought on the whole thing. I mean, it, yeah. really, um, it really is, if you think about it, what did you do in the last five and a half months? Right. It goes by so quickly, just yeah. like that. And for a lifetime of what, what, you, what you've achieved, 3,100 miles. Yeah. I mean, I... I was just going to ask, do you think the trails have changed you? 100%. How 100%. so? Uh, just, um, you definitely recognize what is, what the simple things are in life. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't even know how to uh, give the right example. I don't know, just certain situations that you, you kind of get caught up in and it's, it, it's just such a simple life. Yeah. So you kind of bring that home with you and just, just bring it, make, make a simple life around you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't need the BMW in the driveway. I don't. I don't need any of that. Yeah. Very. Just a very simple guy, you know. Do uh, the people in your life that are close to you notice any changes when you get home? Uh, my wife does. Yeah, she said when I had done the Appalachian Trail, she said that's the greatest thing that ever had happened to our our relationship. Wow. How yeah. so? I really don't know. You never told me. <laughs> She's like, you weren't around. You were like awesome. a real asshole or something like that. I, don't know. <laughs> like, I didn't know I was, but. <laughs> But uh, yeah, she said. Um, yeah, she said that it was one of the greatest things that had ha- ever happened in our relationship. That is so rad. Yeah, and then what had happened in 2010 was um, Manhattan got really slow, and I had gotten laid off, and I was just kind of tooling around the house for two weeks, just trying to catch up on everything that I had fallen behind on in, in ten years or whatever. And um, she was like, "Why don't you go out and hike that trail you've been talking about for ten years?" And I was like, "I don't think it's a good time." And she's like, "What are you kidding me? This is the best time." Nice. So I went out on the PCT. Um, I had gotten laid off in February. I think trail days or that 
that kickoff is in April, right? It's like the last week of PCT April. Kickoff. For the PCT kickoff, yeah. it's like the last week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kickoff. Yeah, God, God, I dare you to say that. But anyway, um, yeah, the last week of April, I think that they hold that. Yeah, and last I left weekend, on yeah. June 2nd. So, you know, it's, um, that hike there was, uh, and I'm not looking to get all quirky on you or whatever, but that was that was a spiritual hike and it wasn't even intended to be. There was no intention on that whatsoever, and it just turned out to be that way. Was it spiritual because you were solo? Yeah. And what does spiritual look like to you? Um, you just kind of recognize yourself, I think. You know, I, it, I don't even think there's words for it. You just really find, like, what you're, what you're capable of yeah. and the person that you really are. Um, two days ago on trail... I was listening to a podcast, an NPR podcast, and it was kind of talking about the, the shootings that happened recently. Yeah. And I started sobbing. Yeah. And I just said, I'm sorry, like out loud to the trail, to yeah. the world, to everything. And I felt, even though I was way far away from everybody in the nearest town, I just felt very connected. And what kind of spiritual moments did you have? Like, was there any things that stick out to you? Like, wow. Like, I remember that day that sunrise you know that phone um, call whatever nothing really it just um it, it is really nothing I'd rather keep it to myself if that's right yeah man that's totally yeah. cool yeah so but uh yeah it was a cool cat that i hiked with for five about 500 miles his name was uh not ryan we went through the sierras together but um but then we, we kind of broke away. I, I started putting in bigger miles because I had that mission of reaching the uh, reaching a monument. Yeah. But, uh, was it hard hiking solo for you? No. No. Well, yes. Well, yes. It's double edged sword there because on the Appalachian Trail, like you learn from other people in regards to you know walking off with a seventy five starting with a seventy five pound pack. I learned like okay, I can duck in and out of towns every three days. I don't yeah. have to carry 14 days worth of food like they, like these books that we're putting out there <laughs> that is reading or whatever they're saying like yeah. I have to carry 14 days of work it's impossible you don't you, I mean it's not impossible but it's not even necessary so I was cruising with this guy uh, Stray Cat who I was seeing you know in and out of town so I was coming in he was coming out sort of thing so we started cruising together when I when I came out of the Smokies uh, we met at a place called Mountain Mamas and we we ended up hiking together all the way through the Shenandoah's and uh, that, you know, I, I learned from him because he had done the trail in 1997 and he was back out there again. So going to the PCT, I was by myself. So now it's 10 years fast forward. I don't I don't know what equipment's out there. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything. Yeah. I didn't know, you know, Z-Pack was putting stuff out there. I didn't know Gossamere. I didn't know any of those, any mm. of those companies. I'm out there with a giant Osprey. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm carrying like a... I think it was a North Face sleeping bag, you know. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to how to reduce that that pack weight down when. Yeah. You know that the trail runners, I that's that, I think that's the only thing that I stepped on a trail that was right. I went out there with trail runners instead of hiking boots. Oh, good. Because in even two thousand one, everybody was still wearing hiking boots. Wow. Nobody had trekking poles. Oh. I think the cliff bar was just invented. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So the last question I wanted to ask you is just like revolving around food. Like, what is your relationship with food like out on the trail or on your ride? Like, are you the kind of guy that's like, you don't really care what it is, you'll shove it in your mouth because it's calories? Or do you have, like, dietary restrictions? No. Do you get sick okay. of stuff? I just eat. Yeah, I just, I just eat. eat. I'm sick of Cliff Bars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only one that I can barely choke down now is the, um, what, the white macadamia? White chocolate macadamia <laughs> one. I call it a sawdust bar now. <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I can actually, I, I put it in my mouth and I'm like chewing it down to like barely nothing and I try to swallow it with water. The water passes it and it, it, it's still in my mouth. Whoa. I mean, it, it, after 8,000 miles of eating that stuff, it's just, yeah. It's just enough already. <laughs> Did you ever put any certain type of food in your resupply boxes and then get sick of it and you're kind of screwed because it shows up every time? On the Appalachian Trail, yeah, because of misleading information. You know, they in 2001, they gave you that, like, yeah, you got to carry 14 days worth of food, you know. And so uh, I, I was carrying 14 things of macaroni and cheese and I was, I was that's like... That's so crazy. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's, that's my dinner. So what else, you know, whatever else I was carrying also. Yeah. You know, it's just... 
just misleading information. Like I, I was just reading the wrong books and, but by two weeks I learned as I had that 75 pound pack down to 30 at least. Yeah. So is it uh, just as awesome to get into town when you're on uh, a 100% cy- cycling trip? Yeah. Oh, all the time. <laughs> it's always great to have a pancake breakfast or, uh, you know, the eggs and everything like that. And oh, it's so glorious. Instead of, uh, what am I, what am I, <laughs> I guess carnation drinks and I, I dump a, uh, a Starbucks coffee in there. <laughs> so it's like a mocha yeah like i make a i make a mocha drink out of uh the carnation breakfast drinks and a uh and a starbucks coffee so at this point in summer a lot of people are hitting the wall and kind of getting off trail for one reason or another like missing you know their girlfriends or boyfriends and you know running out of money or physically getting broken down i call it the midsummer bummers yeah what words of encouragement since you've triple crowned do you have for people it's um that's the point that you got to get past like you gotta you gotta plow through that because once you plow through that there's like a certain thing that happens to you mm-hmm. and then you just realize oh shit man this this is the real deal you mm-hmm. know i'm out here so but it i don't know it's not for everybody just push through yeah i always plow through on ea like i i it's, there was a point in my life when I had done the Appalachian Trails. My, my thing about the Appalachian Trails is that I came right out of high school. I went right into the Carpenters Union. I didn't go to college. I didn't go into the service. Like, my entire family is Navy. So I, I was the black sheep of the family. I didn't go into the Navy. There was there was a void in my life. And that, that person introduced that, uh, that map to me. <laughs> and that was it. There was... There was tunnel vision. Nothing, so cool. nothing was stopping me. I was going to be that ten percent yeah. to complete that year. So on the AT, your first through hike, did you have any hard days where you wanted to quit? But up in Vermont, like it was, um, like, like when the states start to get tighter, like you start blasting through the states. Um, let's see where you gonna come out of Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and you start heading up into like the New England states. Those those were a bit of a blur. But once I hit uh, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. like something happened there that, you know, the, the bugs stopped biting and everything. And I was in the White Mountains. The White Mountains were absolutely amazing. And what I found about the White Mountains was that even though I had, I think by the time you get to that point, I think you have about about uh, 1,400 miles under your feet. When you come out of there, they still kicked my ass. <laughs> Those are real mountains. There. Mm-hmm. So, awesome. 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 But uh, yeah, once New Hampshire and then Maine, and then you you know you're in a hundred mile wilderness. I kind of found that uh, Maine, in regards to the hundred mile wilderness, I found that Southern Maine was a bit more of a wilderness area than the actual hundred mile wilderness. There's yeah. so many bailout areas, and you can you can escape easy enough and okay. get the hell out of there. Yeah. So when you had to get off trail on the PCT because of the snow, did that feel more like? It was depressing. Was that like? But there's a difference between a motivational, like, exit, like, I just can't do this, I'm sick of this, I don't want to be here, I could be at home doing other stuff, and then there's, like, this is dangerous, I, I need to get off because I'm putting myself in danger. Was it, like, super clear for you, or hard, or? Um, it, it was 100% clear that I, I should not be there. Yeah. It was, it was life or death. Wow. Yeah, it was definitely life or death. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was recognized. I mean, I, I knew it. Yeah, I just, like, instinctually. I was just, um... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just in five days of snow and I don't know what the, I didn't have any GPS. Oh, just wow. always had, the, always had the map out and just going through fresh snow. I mean, it's, it's one thing to go in last year's snow and other people had already made the footprints for you, right, but right, now right. I'm making the footprints and wow. yeah, it was, I, <laughs> every spirit was with me. That's all I got to say. Every spirit, yeah. Oh wow! Every angel. That's what. I, <laughs> yeah. Every angel, because I don't. I got to be honest with you. I don't even know how I recognized what the PCT was. But then you like any through hiker knows. Like once you once you have that um, those miles under your feet, like you you almost like know where the trail is. Mm-hmm. Like you almost have like that that bit of guidance. Like once you're um, you know once you're like eighteen eighteen hundred miles in, like you have a feel. Yeah. Like where the trail should be. Yeah. And what the trail should be. It's almost like in, in my mind, it's almost like you're getting into the heads of the people who built it. I guess so. Yeah. Like you don't need a blaze or any, you know, like you already know, like, Oh, that is the PCT. That is not, you know, know, when you come to that fork in the road and 
Well, is um, is there anything else you wanted to share with the world? I don't know. My my famous saying is for all the Long Islanders is you got to cross the George Washington Bridge because there's really something to see out there. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea what that means. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Are you familiar with New York? No, dude. I'm from California. Well, <laughs> so um, well, California. A little story on California. I, I thought everything was like David Lee Roth videos, and everybody just walked around, and all the chicks walked around in bikinis. I didn't even know there was mountains there. So, <laughs> so but um, yeah. So there's New York City. Okay. And then you have a piece that like branches off in New York City that's called Long Island and then there's New York like New York State is huge yeah it's like the third largest state I think if I'm saying it correctly oh. I mean, I'm, I'm probably misleading that's probably misleading information but okay but it's huge so I'm on Long Island <laughs> okay and everybody there is um, I think they're kind of landlocked you know they really don't know you know what's what's out here so you the George Washington Bridge does it take you from Long yeah, Island? Yeah, it gets you to... from uh, yeah, it gets you it gets you off out of New York into New Jersey. Okay. So uh, and, and then from there on, you just ride. You stay on eighty, and the eighty will take you all the way across the entire United States. Oh wow! Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, and um, this is homework signing off, and and Scarecrow. <laughs> all right. Take care, everybody. The thing Scarecrow said about how short five months is really struck me. It seems like such a massive amount of time to leave everything, to be in the woods. But placed in the context of my life? Yeah, five months is nothing. I blink and they're gone. And I'm still here, working a regular old job, doing my regular old thing. Might as well cross that George Washington Bridge, whatever that bridge is for you. Our next interview is on the Appalachian Trail with Pace a hiker whose quest for spirituality and belief is a big part of why he chose to hike. And let's hear from him. Security monk. <laughs> okay, we're rolling. This is, uh... <laughs> we're starting I, over. I my security monk. <laughs> no. Okay, this is Hey Girl with Sounds of the Trail, and I am with... Pace. And we are sitting at mile 1409 on the Appalachian Trail, headed northbound, um, just outside of Fort Montgomery, New York. We are at the Graymore Spiritual Center, a place that is friendly to hikers, and we're going to camp here for the night. We are at a baseball field where the hikers are tenting, and we've got our hammocks out, doing laundry, taking free showers. And up the hill, there is a spiritual center and a place where... The facility also gives retreats and just all sorts of other great spiritual matters. So we are going to talk about our relationship with the sublime on the AT. So all things spiritual and religious and how that works in the world of through hiking the AT. Okay, so Pace, why don't you start out by telling Sounds the Trail listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, so yeah, I grew up in Idaho, kind of a suburban lifestyle. I never really grew up religious. My dad's uh, atheist. My mom's Catholic, but didn't really go to church at all. And then I left Idaho to go to the big city. So I went to school uh, in San Francisco and got involved in that debauchery and then left there. And now I live in Colorado and took off for the trail a couple months back. So how did you decide after living out west in Colorado, land of fun and all things outdoors, to come back east and to do the Appalachian Trail? Um, I've never been east, so I guess I visited D.C. once as like a kid sort of thing, but this is my first time really spending any time in the south and any time along the east coast, and I wanted to see this part of the country and figured walking it was a great way of getting to know it. So how's it been so far? You have walked through seven states so far on the AT. Yeah, turns out walking it is a great way to get to know the AT and to get to know yourself. I spent a lot of time alone in the woods. It's also it's also been fantastic to go through those states and see just the little interactions that I have, the differences, and also the similarities. I think the similarities are probably more more profound than anything else I've seen out here. So also another thing a lot of people might not realize about walking the Appalachian Trail is while you walk through all these 
14 states on the East Coast and you spend the majority of your time in the woods, yeah. you also come in and out of many towns like we did today. Yeah. We stopped through a small town and in the morning you went through another town and in a couple miles north here we'll go through another town. And so you get to know parts of the United States based on that too. What's been your um, feeling or your experience going through different trail towns? Um, first, I think that most Americans are a lot more alike than they'd like to believe. That's been an overwhelming uh, realization that no matter where you are in the country, if you're, <clears throat> if you're anywhere near an interstate, you're going to have similar stores and p there's good people everywhere. So no matter if you can get away from the news and the politics and you get people talking about things like the Appalachian Trail which is kind of apolitical and doesn't really have an agenda the number of people that are willing to help and that are willing to talk to you and like open their doors to you it's it's overwhelming and so that's been that's been my most striking sort of insight into this diversity that being said i now have a sweet tea addiction Thanks to the oh, South. Okay. Yeah. Well, and tell uh, listeners a little bit more. What is sweet tea? Sweet tea is this delicious nectar they serve in the southern states, whereby they cook, or wh while making the tea, they mix the sugar in. So it's a hot brewed batch that is then served cold. Ooh, yeah, that's nice. Might might be up there as the best beverage ever created that is a lot coming from a man that worked at a restaurant before this and managed a premier restaurant true I, I mean i have i have psalm certifications in wine and i would i would go as far as to say that sweet tea when done correctly deserves to be served in a wine glass wow i would i would serve it in crystal that's that's, how's that for some trail magic? Sweet tea and some crystal glasses. <laughs> you someday, heard, someday. heard it here, folks. You can be fancy on the Appalachian Trail. Sweet tea. Who knew? Nectar of the gods. Um, okay, so Pace, uh, what else thus far has... Can you talk a little bit more when you are mentioning some of those trail towns? Tell me about an experience you've had or a memory in one of those trail towns that kind of reminds you of what being out here on the AT and your insights into people and trail towns has meant? So one of the first and really great interactions I had was actually back in Hot Springs. There at the Sunnybank Inn, Elmer's place, he, which, is a which is a hostel, right, in Hot Springs. He's been running this hostel for 40-some years after he did his thru-hike, almost, yeah, I think 40-some years. He did it back in 76. I think don't somewhere close to that but he hosts family dinners at night and you gather around and it's all fresh cooked ingredients from his garden and it's served in courses but before anything before anything's poured or before any food is uh, served up he would go around and you would have a conversation and the natures of those conversations were very political. Um, he asked what, well, during our dinner, he asked uh, what human creation would you remove from the world if you could? And in that way, he started off the night by really probing deeper into, into each other's lives, into who we are. And that, to me, has been a great backdrop for the rest of the AT. A lot of the time we talk about food and miles, but the really awesome time is when we get behind the food and miles and we just talk about anything because we can be real out here. Let's go a little deeper and talk about our relationship with the sublime here on the Appalachian Trail. So, Pace, do you, before coming on the trail, were you a spiritual and or religious person? I've gone through phases of spiritual and religious proclivity, uh, and before coming out here, I had started attending church. Okay. Most probably for about the last six months. And so then, if you'd been attending church for the last six months, was 
that part of your um, goal while you were out here to continue to be dedicated to your spirituality as you were on the trail? Yeah, so my my spiritual sort of path um, took some interesting turns. And originally it went pretty far, I guess, away from the spiritual. Pretty, pretty devout atheist and postmodern philosophy. And then, so moral relativity. But before coming out here, I'd kind of been thinking about how we interact with each other and decided that there probably is something deeper there, right? There probably, or I I decided there's something to believe in there and I wanted to explore what that meant to me. So the first place I started looking for that was back in church. And I say back in church, but I never really went to church before. So the first place I started looking was in church. And I attended a Presbyterian church in Colorado. And I liked it. Primarily because the church liked to think that it was thinking beyond the text. It was trying to read deeper into these very traditional parables. Which, for a kid that's looking for these more general and self-built incarnations of the sublime and the spiritual I was rather fond of. I think now that actually that's a general trend across the nation that most churches are going in this way but that's that's something I've learned out here actually. So the trail has a lot of has a lot of religious aspects to it and hiking along it I've gone through several of them and kind of learned it or kind of carved out my own spirituality or I'm working on carving out my own spirituality while doing it. Okay, so talk a little bit more about when you say the trail has many religious aspects to it cuz that's not something you hear from hikers so often. Well, to start, I think the whole foundation of the AT back in Benton McKay's vision, right, comes from this transcendental almost idea of this God in nature, right? Finding, finding that beauty and finding God's presence in the outdoors. Um, and that, that's what led to its development. So if we start from there and you have tons and tons of references to people like Walt Whitman or Emerson or Thoreau out here that are kind of these, yeah, spiritual guides to that uh, natural underpinning of the AT. Okay, so some of those folks you might not, they might not necessarily have been religious in nature based on a certain um, organized religion, but they are spiritual leaders based on whether or not they're they're writers and or um, founders of the trail and or just other big thinkers. Definitely. So there's there's this. Uh all of them have in common this idea that when you're out here in nature, kind of, you are able to think for yourself as an individual. And in that, that is the spiritual gift, right? Um, you have the ability to find God in yourself, more or less, is sort of the, the, the theme there. And God isn't external, but is, uh, in, all the surroundings and all the area are in, in, in everything around you. And I say God just as a loose placeholder for beauty or goodness or um, any spiritual power, that connectivity, right? That, that marrow of life. And so, yeah, it starts from there. But then as you, as you get out here, you'll find that a lot of the trail magic and the support for the AT comes from religious groups. So lots of churches are the hostels that open their doors. A lot of the trail angels are from churches in the area. There's AT ministries and outreach programs. A lot of, I've met multiple different groups on the trail who are ministry groups from colleges in nearby towns. And the spiritual presence on the trail from these other institutions is overwhelming. It's 
highly, highly supported by the network of churches and ministers around. I mean, that's why we're sitting here tonight in this Graymore Spiritual Center, who have been kind enough to have a shelter and a shower and water and open up their baseball field to our camping. And so from there, um, you get little little glimpses into how other people see God and the trail, how communities come around the trail and how they get involved. So most recently, I went to a church service in the Delaware Water Gap. The church had a hostel in the basement where I stayed, but at the service, they were talking about the Good Samaritan in the parable and how one should reach out to help because we're all each other's neighbors. If And I'm paraphrasing this. This, this outreach is first and foremost in uh, an act in connecting and not an act in aiding and abetting anybody or somebody of a similar nature but that same i thought that was i thought that was very fitting because there's been a lot of times out here where a good samaritan left a gallon of water and saved me from a drought or parked and served some great orange juice and I, I think nice. your point about Good Samaritan Acts is probably one of the most common insights that through hikers experience every day in terms of thanks and maybe spiritual connection. Um, no matter what, if people say they're uh, religious in nature or not, but there are so many acts every day, whether or not it's trail magic and or rides and or people offering you to stay at their homes. Um, but it is that act of just being good to one another and do unto one as you'd like them to do unto you. And as a thruaker, would you say that that is also changing your perspective on maybe how you'll live your life off the trail? I mean, yeah, I think it definitely has changed parts of how I'm going to live off the trail. I, I hope to live off the trail the same way I live on the trail. And that's what I think about when I think about getting to Katahdin is like, I want the day after Katahdin to be just as enriched as the day that I summit it. And the way to do that is to really embrace some of these connections, you know, embrace this helping of each other and the goodness in people. When I, so when I decided to go back to the church, it was because I, I think that there is a goodness in all of us, some moral objectivity in a world that has traditionally been pretty, pretty flexitive with that, or flexible, not flexible, flexible with, with our, with our guidelines. And it might not be in a written text or in a book, but there are simple things like do unto others and be kind and be honest and be benevolent that do strike me as just true they're they're not ideas but they're they're truths in the world that there's a good way to be and if you really believe that if you believe in the good right and the good in people the good in the world and guide your life by those principles i think every day every day can be enriching and meaningful. You know, one sentiment that strikes me based on what you said is uh, to live on the trail and off the trail the same way. But then also when you're talking about uh, all these good virtues that we hope that people have and that you believe are really inherent in most people, one experience that I've had on the trail and heard many other hikers talk about is the fact that this is more like the real world in some ways or in some ways maybe it's actually a real world utopia and the majority of the through hikers you meet and or people that are supporting us on in the trail towns people are really nice people are really honest and people just do what they can to help one another and it's a very basic living you know you have what you have on your back you supply what you need for the week and you're taking only what you need to get by 
But in that way, I think it frees up people's time and space to be good and to think the best of other people and to take all those good virtues in the world and to put them into use and to actually live that way. Whereas sometimes in a world off the trail, it seems like life gets busy. Life gets full of all these other things, which are just normal in life. But, uh, sometimes those take away from our ability to be good, to be honest, to be, uh, present with one another. So I think that's really interesting based on what you're saying. And you're trying to make those connections, but like really, in many ways, the through hiking experience allows that to happen very easily if you let it. Okay, one other question I have for you is when you talk about your spirituality on the trail, what does that actually look like on a day-to-day basis? Are you, you said you went to church in a town. Do you do other things like do you meditate? Do you write in a journal and reflect on um, your thoughts every day? What, what does that look like for you? Um, I do write in a journal. So some days I write more than others, but I do like to try and try and focus on what my thoughts were and at least reflect on them. I read. So my my journey out here has gone through some texts of various thinkers who kind of approached approached the same question and then I'll I'll think about those ideas while I walk. So I started off reading uh, these meditations by Marcus Aurelius, who is a emperor in Rome. Wow! Yeah, and he he wrote some really nice. Um, he wrote he he wrote his reflections on the Stoic thought process, and so I would reflect on those, and then I read some Emerson and I'd reflect on that, and read I read some speeches by Lincoln, which I thought had some very timely uh, elements to them. And yeah, so a lot of my day-to-day activities are based around how other people have approached these same problems and thinking about them and reading them and writing about them while I walk. If I'm in a town during a service or something like that, I'll try to make it. I don't know if I'll make mass tomorrow morning, but we'll see. Uh, And it's... I, I'm very conscious of being open to people, trying to be as honest and as heartfelt as I can and striking that common chord that I think we all have. Really, really looking for that. I think that's great. And um, part of this whole through hiking experience that you hear people talk about is the more you get from it is the more open you are. And that could be true of any form of life but it's true you know the more people we get to talk to every day the more folks you meet on the trail the more time you take to enjoy this trail it really does give back more and more and more um all right so pace you've now left me very enlightened and feeling like I need to work on my spirituality a little bit more. And we can uh, talk about it more. Just yeah, that's the thing. But, you know, another thing that struck me as you are talking is I find myself finding those moments of connection, even in things like I spend a lot of times identifying trees during the day. And my hiking partner and I, he knows the bark and I know the leaves. And so we'll talk about trees for hours during the day. But then I find at the end of the day, there's this very calming impact it's had on me right because how many hours in the day do you get oftentimes off trail to do that and just to sit there contemplating the beautiful parts of nature that are around you and that's exactly what emerson and thoreau and john muir would want us to do agreed agreed so <laughs> this is hey girl with sounds <laughs> of the trail signing off with pace and we are just sitting in a field that um sky is getting dark and it's feeling ever so calm and and we're deciding that evil is a real thing as these mosquitoes come out 99.9 percent of the things on the trail are good except for that point one which are the freaking mosquitoes Them, yeah you know they what they can go to hell they can go to hell and <laughs> they are the one test of our patience and our spiritual centeredness um but i don't think there's any way to find good in them Okay, so signing out. Signing out. (laughs) Signing out from Fort Montgomery, New York. 
Sometimes you set out looking for God and find sweet tea instead. But if it brings us together, who's to say it's not spiritual itself? Thanks again for listening. Happy trails. Oh yeah.